0: And now, GEICO's savings stories. Russell Burton closed his laptop, having just switched his car insurance to GEICO. He didn't think much of it, until... Savings were everywhere. My pockets, uh, wallet, bank accounts.
1: It was like the savings were following me.
0: Following, indeed. All because of an innocent 15 minutes on GEICO.com. I feel like I'm never alone. GEICO, spend 15 minutes and 15% or more in savings. Could be following you. about my life as i see it Big
2: then he made his move to an abandoned building Ran up the stairs up to the top floor Opened up a door there Guess who he saw? Who? Dave the dope fiend shooting dope Who don't know the meaning of water nor soap He said I need bullets, hurry up, run The dope fiend brought back a spanking shotgun He went outside, but there was cops all over Then he dipped into a car a stolen Nova Raced up the block doing 83 crashed into a tree near university Escaped alive, though the car was battered Reda-tat sat it and all the cops gathered. Ran out of bullets and he still had static. Grabbed the pregnant lady and pulled out the automatic. Pointed out ahead, he said the gun was full of lead, he told the cops, back off, for honey, here's dead, deep in his heart, he knew he was wrong, so he let the lady go, and he starts to run on, uh-huh. siren sounded, he seemed astounded, and before long, the little boy got surrounded, he dropped his gun, so went to glory, and this is the way I have to end this story, he was only 17. what, in a madman's dream, the cop shot, the kid I still hear him scream, this ain't funny, so don't you dare laugh. Huh? Just another case about the wrong path. Huh? Straight and arrow are your soldiers. Cap. Good night. Knock them out the box, Rick. Knock them out, Rick.
3: K.I.R.P. Radio! Good evening, you're listening to the K.I.R.P. Radio Show. Last Friday nights, last Friday nights of the month with your guest host, Rocco P. It is Friday night, August 25th, 2017. Tonight, I will be discussing Charlottesville, uh, what happened, uh, to some degree, why it happened, and what the powers that be want us to believe, what the powers that be would like to see as a result of this, there's a, there's so many facets to the story because of what was involved, and in, uh, in general, in general, you could always tell the more attention the story gets by the corporate media, by the mainstream media. Uh, there's a reason that the, the more more it's more indicative that there's an agenda the more uh story is covered it's more indicative that there's an agenda uh there's a bigger picture there's so much to say uh as uh, as an introduction i'd like to talk a little bit about charles barkley charles barkley if you're an nba fan you probably know or remember sir charles had played for the 76ers, and played for the Phoenix Suns before he went on to retire, contemporary of Michael Jordan. And Barkley, Charles Barkley is an interesting when it comes to politics. He's not hyper-political by any means, but for years he's had, has a reputation of speaking his mind. And when that digresses from the general neoliberal mindset, when that digresses from what the uh, appointed leaders, so-called leaders of uh, neoliberal leaders of black America, what they espouse, say, and do, then that will get Charles Barkley in trouble. And other things have gotten him in trouble. Again, he's not hyperpolitical, but he's not afraid, has not been uh, hesitant to speak his mind from time to time. And uh, this is a piece uh, This is a piece that Paul Joseph Watson wrote at Infowars.com. And uh, the name of that piece is Charles Barkley labeled the white supremacist for telling black people to stop killing each other and that is correct I'll go to the primary source too. Charles Barkley was labeled the white supremacist for telling black people to stop killing each other all right Uh, according to the left-wing website the root Charles Barkley is a white supremacist because he says black people should stop getting angry over old statues and instead concentrate on not killing each other and getting an education Why won't Charles Barkley shut up? And I paraphrase that from the profanity that was used at The Root, Uh, as it clearly triggered Michael Harriet, author of the article at The Root, whose story is filed under the category Stupid Negroes. Quote, is there anyone who thinks that Barkley's statements about race reveal anything other than his repeated willingness to throw black people under under the bus for a stupid unwillingness to assimilate into whiteness, he rants. Barclay's thought crime was to encourage, and this is Paul Joseph Watson, Barclay's thought crime was to encourage black people to concentrate less in getting angry over historical monuments and more in getting an education, working hard, and being successful. He also said black people, quote, need to stop killing each other, end quote. I think if you asked uh, most black people, to be honest, they thought this is Charles Barclay again. I believe it was a, treat, a tweet initially, I think. If you ask most black people to be honest, they ain't thought a day in their life about those stupid statues. What well, we as black people need to do, we need to worry about getting our education, we need to stop killing each other, we need to try to find a way to have more economic opportunity and things like that, said the former NBA star. The rest of the rude article is a rambling, angry screed about how Barkley is siding, <laughs> is... uh. Siding with the oppressors of Black America because he's regurgitating white people solutions to Black problems. Uh, quote: He's a true believer in the infallibility and superiority of whiteness because Charles Barkley is a white supremacist. So, do you see, do you see this irrationality where 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 this is going? Of course, not everyone, <laughs> black or white, who uh, who would disagree with Barkley. Would say he's a white supremacist, but do you see this element? Do you see uh, do you see this element, the irrationality that someone could say one black man, yeah, you know, this author of the article at the root, could say that another black man who's yeah you know, been yeah you know, been prominent prominent media figure. I think he still does some uh, some NBA uh, uh, some NBA work on TV, but how he could call another black man a white supremacist, merely because he did not bow down to the political correctness to the the so-called gods of the neoliberal movement that would say blacks have to be continually, repeatedly, and incessantly enraged at anything and everything that may hurt their feelings. And that's throughout. And again, we, you know, we get into. I'm not going there tonight, as far as you know, big, a big historical discussion in detail about the Confederacy. The war between the states did start out. It's very clear if you look into it. It started out as a war to keep the Union together. They say the triggering point, in part, you know, was slavery, but uh, it's very clear. Uh, Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln himself had said it. It was to keep the Union together. As the war went on, it became increasingly less popular in the North. And yes, there were people in the North that reminded President Lincoln that he had no constitutional authority to do that. And Lincoln then illegally shut down newspapers, did nice things like that. So, the war between the states or I would call them war, war and the aggression started out to keep the Union together. There's no constitutional basis. There's nothing in the Constitution that said once a state joined, it wasn't like the Roach Motel that, you know, you could get in but you can never get out. That wasn't the case with the original compact. That wasn't the case in the Articles of Confederation. It wasn't the case in you know the current US Constitution. So the uh the states that started to separate, uh basically just viewed the constitution at face value and said, Well, we had they had tabled this this discussion on slavery, so if now Washington D C if the federal government is now going to say that this is something we can't do when it had not been it had not been illegal. And incidentally there's also a tiny amount of people that were involved in slavery affect the economy you could say disproportionately in certain southern states but you, you don't you don't want to go along with this idea that like everybody had a slave it was a tiny amount of people that were slaves like you know, a tiny amount of people had owned slaves under 5% so the war between the states opens up lincoln it was basically there was a lot of economic factors that really really a lot had to do with the pressure of the south in terms of more Uh, Aggressive taxation, really. Slavery then triggered it the southern southern states, and it didn't happen overnight. A lot of them initially did not want to secede. They just said, well, we'll just walk away from the Union. It's a peaceful thing. It's just not really should be a non-issue. But uh, Lincoln had interpreted that. As in, uh, you you join, you can never leave. And that's not in the Constitution. And a way you can prove the point, the Constitution, the Constitution, literally, I just mentioned, is very, very, very easy to prove. And that's that's how you look at it. There's really two things to show. Number one, the federal Constitution, as it stands now, has never been amended to say that a state could not leave. It talks about how a state could join. doesn't say, never says a state can't leave. So... Right then and there, you see, there's no, there's nothing in the compact governing uh, a state uh, saying a state could would be perpetually bound to the union. There's nothing there. The other point, if that didn't persuade you, that's very clear. Historically, is after, after the war between the states the war of the world, northern aggression was over. What happened? What happened in North Carolina? Happened in other states, and that's this. Union forces, uh, liter- literally at gunpoint, had surrounded like uh, the Legislative Building, which was in Raleigh, the seat of government in North Carolina, and at literally a threat of gunpoint, they said, you're going to amend your state constitution that says you can never secede again. Okay. Now, why Why did the Union forces, after the fighting was over, why did they insist on then changing with due, with threat of violence? Why did they insist then that the states that had seceded would have to change their state constitutions so that they can never secede again? And the answer is very simple, because there was and still is nothing in the federal constitution that says you can't secede. It's really that easy. When the war didn't go the way Lincoln and others had wanted it to, when the, the, when the death toll became too high, and it was never it was never super popular in the North, anyhow. You can say that too about certain Southern states, it's you know, In different times in the Confederacy, yes. You know, it just it wasn't super popular, even though those states seceded on, you know, on both sides, in the North and South. But in any case, when the death toll got high, the public support, which was weak, became weaker. So then there was a new marketing employed by Lincoln with the Emancipation Proclamation, and that was to say, now we're going to make it moral. Now it's not to keep the Union together. Now we're fighting against slavery. And that's pretty much you know, the revisionist view of history that most of us has been taught in, uh, in textbooks. But I could say even, even to, to the credit of my high school history teacher in, uh, in New Jersey, I could even say even in that textbook, or at least the teacher taught me, I don't have the textbook anymore, but at least he taught that the war between the states started out to keep the union together. And then it changed and ended as a war to end slavery. When I say the Emancipation Proclamation was largely a PR, a PR stunt, uh, with all due respect, it was because it did not free one slave in the North where Lincoln could have done that. didn't do it. It was highly symbolic because it said, well, we're going to emancipate the slaves in the South when at that point the Union did not control any of the Confederate states. So. But that's that's some historical background. Again, you could go back and forth as far as the monument is to me. Uh, you have to think again. Why is why is there the outrage now? And again, there's been discussion from time to time. I've read for years about you know conf- Confederate flags and this and that. But why why is it exploding now? You have to ask that question. It's been around for a long time. Obviously, there was a civil rights movement in America when Americans who were not in the South found out about segregation they were They were largely disgusted uh but so things 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 in terms of race have changed in the country obviously, but why now you have to ask yourself that question why now is is there such a focus on all of this uh outrage allegedly against any type of Confederate monuments? In Confederate history, when uh, when we look at what happened in Charlottesville, it's very interesting. Uh, People want to focus because of the death on what happened Saturday, but the reality is, is that it started on Friday night, okay? And yes, it was it was organized largely. The guy that organized it, and I'll talk, I'll discuss him. He said it was a Unite the Right event, but it was largely. Uh, you know, white supremacist people that were sympathetic to white supremacists. And when I use that phrase, white supremacist, okay, there'd be, there'd obviously be different shades, uh, you know, different, uh, no pun intended, uh, there'd be different characters floating around. I didn't look at every group. But the point is, when we get into identity politics, in other words, I'm just saying, when we get into this idea of identity politics, is that people are, A lot of people get manipulated on on both the so-called right and left, but when we look at this idea that because you have Black Lives Matter, now you have to have a movement like White Lives Matter, that's the completely wrong response to solving this okay that to me the correct response at the political level is this uh and this reflects really what the bible says the bible says there's one race the human race we're all created in the image and likeness of god therefore because we're humans we have value in his sight and we have rights not because we belong to this or that subgroup we have rights because we're individuals created in god's image so every human has rights when you get into identity politics uh it's obviously extremely uh, divisive. It's very destructive, and that's what they want. I mean, the powers that be want to. They want to divide us. The powers that be definitely want to divide us. Uh, it started. They had. You had these groups again. These white nationalist types. They had this uh, march. New videos were out there. I think Vice, Vice TV or Vice.com has. Has one out. That's gotten a lot of uh, a lot of attention, and they're literally, you know, walking at night with, uh, you know, these torches. It's it looks like something out of out of a bad movie, but it was real, and you know they're saying stuff against the Jews. It's it was it was messed up. In any case, it happened Friday night. There was no violence Friday night, but you saw the idiocy of the division and the idea again of the identity politics on the white side because they're they're shouting, you know, white lives matter. And then the response to some of the protesters, there, are a lot of students in Charlottesville, was Black Lives Matter. And again, that's the way—the way to defuse and debunk Black Lives Matter is not read into white identity politics. That's that—that's crazy. But again, the powers that be want to divide us. So there was—that happened Friday night. There was no violence Friday night. Uh, Saturday, a number of things happened. I think the governor had said. Uh, for whatever reason, it's still it's still not clear that uh, they had permits, but it had to end. So it ended Saturday, and uh, I'll read a quote from uh, from from one piece on the on uh, one article. Saturday's rally ostensibly a demonstration against the potential removal of Confederate General Robert E. Lee's longstanding statue from the Char- from the Charlottesville, Virginia park that bore his name until renamed Emancipation Park. This year, by the city council, turned into the biggest news event in the country Friday as torch-bearing members of disparate, explicitly white nationalist groups, including several outright organizations and a contingent of self-identified neo-Nazis descended on the home of the University of Virginia. By Saturday afternoon, three people were dead, with several dozen seriously injured. The three people, again, that's deceptive because two police died in a helicopter, and that accident had nothing to do with any of the protests or anything. That was just an unfortunate event. But you know the video there was nonstop coverage of the uh the uh the guy from ohio the young guy from Ohio who ran this car into people and killed one white woman uh there was no violence in the in the torch march on friday night uh yeah, i mean but again it's you watch the videos you just see you just see the uselessness of the, the identity politics so what uh what uh what really what you have to think about, okay, they are clearly trying to divide us. Uh, they're trying to divide us by provoking racial hostilities. Uh, they're trying to divide us by making us sh- ashamed of our past and I say that generally because if, if every confederate monument, if any if everything erected in in any way, shape, or form that mentions the confederate that mentions the confederacy in public, if that's now interpreted as a monument in defense of slavery. And not at the time initially, as it started, as a, a defense of the sovereignty of the states to leave a union that they wanted to. Uh, if that's all, if they're all, if every Confederate Confederate monument uh, is now interpreted as a monument in defense of slavery, logically then hey, we can't stop there. And some people have said that we have to then erase and apologize for any honoring, anything that honors Thomas Jefferson or George Washington. Because they had slaves. And the whole idea again with uh going back to, to, to the Confederate stuff, someone like Rob Reeley, e. uh slaves were inherited as property then in his family and uh he never bought them, he mass paid them. He mass paid them uh before the war between the states. So when the stuff they don't tell you in school is this is that if it was about if it was if it was purely about slavery. Uh, in the North, you had black regiments who were fighting. A lot of them conscripted. They were drafted, and they were fighting in segregated units. In the South, free black men stood sho- stood so- sh- shoulder to shoulder with white men. They freely fought for the Confederacy Sun. So, not doesn't seem to indicate if you had free black men, then... Uh, Yet free black men fighting side by side with uh, those in uh, those in the Confederate those Confederacy that it was uh, they were fighting for slavery. Don't believe that was the case at all. So they are trying to divide us. Uh, they're trying to divide us by provoking racial hostilities. They want to. They're dividing us by making us ashamed of our past. And again, if you follow that to a slush conclusion, some people are saying this: if you're going to park on slavery, if you're going to say that one that one instance, if that if that eradicates every anyone touching slavery, anyone involved slavery, if that invalidates everything they've done, it's a very very destructive path you're on. Because then you have to say, well then Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, they're worthless. Not, and of course, you know that that's insane, and that's not a defense of slavery. You have to interpret what happened in the context of what they did at the time. The American Revolution was completely different in that the revolution did not uh, result in a dictatorship. The King of England, when George Washington uh, was done serving as president, said he's the greatest man in the world because he gave up his power. And uh, They could have set up a monarchy. Washington was that popular. He refused to do it. So be careful of those arguments and realize where this is going. And by by attacking the past, and right now it's largely Confederate-related history, they are seeking to destroy our culture. They really are. They're seeking, by, by attacking the past, right now it's just Confederate-related history. They're seeking to destroy the culture. That's the goal, incidentally, of political correctness, which is also known as cultural Marxism. Cultural Marxism, I've done some shows on that in the past, if you check the archives. And when you look at the broader... The broad perspective again. It's like how, how in the world, why was there all this attention focused nationally on this? Why did that happen? Uh, did Trump make an honest mistake in his comments, or, and of course, you know, Trump has been known to you know just uh, speak his mind. And that's gotten him in trouble before and after he's was selected to be president. But was that just uh, was that just a misstep by Trump? or did he basically uh did he basically walk this back and yeah you know, talk about both sides uh and it is true I mean that, that there was there was violence on both sides talk about antifa nice people at Antifa saying they're anti fascist they're really communist, they were doing nice things like throwing uh soda cans that were filled with cement, and you can see the way some of them the videos are out there, some of them. You know, they had helmets on and <laughs> things like that. So uh, so Trump was true, but clearly when he made those statements, uh, was that just an honest misstep or was President Trump, was he trying to create this controversy in part? Was he trying to basically help cause this division and create that controversy? I would lean towards the fact that it was not mistaken at all, that Trump was trying to help create the division that we have seen. Uh, who's this guy? Who's this guy, Kessler? Uh, Jason Kessler was the organizer. Jason Kessler was the organizer and was Unite the Right. That's what we called it, Unite the Right, but it was largely in this white identity, white nationalist gathering. Uh, the, he basically, Kessler, tried to deny that, he was saying something uh, to the effect that, hey, you know, we're just we're protesting the fact that it's not Robert E. Lee Park anymore, it's Manage Patient Park, and they're going to get rid of the Robert E. Lee Monument. And for something like that, I mean, I could show up to something like that and protest, but I certainly would never, ever, ever show up anywhere in the vicinity of anyone who, who was involved in identity politics on the, yeah, either black or white, incidentally. Uh, I'm not going to go there. Same thing, I mean, there there might be a valid reason, a very valid reason to protest police violence, uh, and that does happen sometimes. It does happen to people of color, and that's real. That problem is real. However, I would never show up at a protest with Black Lives Matter, never do it. Never do it. I wouldn't want to give them legitimacy. When, when by being there, I would not want to give them any credibility whatsoever, so who's this guy, Kessler? Uh, Kessler was was originally mentioned in the media as a, a local radio talk show host and a blogger, and it's interesting you get into that world. you know I've done some of that stuff. Uh, you know was he doing it full time? You know, how long was he doing it? and it's interesting how the information how the information comes out. What we see on the internet while it's still you know while it's still uh open right now while it's not restricted much, is that you'll see a lot of independent sites will do some great research they'll bring something to light, and then bigger sites and new media sites will jump on and That was the case. World net daily ran a piece about Kessler, uh, and they did that and it turns out Kessler was an Obama supporter, yeah. Kessler was an Obama supporter. When some of that came out with Kessler, his response was at one point, yeah, he was, he was flipped. I think he said uh, it might have been Trayvon Martin. But the World Net Daily piece was published on the 16th, and we go to their source too. But it was really interesting. They, they called it, uh, Chelsea Schilling wrote that piece. She, she, she called it, Set Up Men Behind White Supremacist Rally Supported Obama. Uh, I'll read from that. The organizer of the violent rally in Charlottes- Charlottesville, Virginia, was until recently a Barack Obama supporter and was also a member of the leftist radical Occupy Wall Street movement. Uh, the details, and that came out from uh, a left-wing group that was exposing him. The details from his recent past have many in the blogosphere and on social media asking, is the Charlotte, Charlottesville rally organizer really a left-wing plant? And I'll take it a step further. I'm not going to interpret it as left or right, though the guy might be a useful idiot. Was he just part of a bigger plan again to divide us? I didn't dig th- I didn't dig up the date, but I, I heard um uh, I heard one radio show that the the white identity people had marched there in in Charlottesville before and no one really cared. But they need something that they wanted to get more attention to, if the goal was to get to cause controversy, to cause disruption on the ground and then it directly or indirectly hope for violence and facilitate violence really if you want to be an Asian provocateur uh this time it worked. So, but in the past, you know, these guys that they had marched and they they had largely been ignored. I think they did the same stunt with the tortures and stuff. But so I go further with Cash and I say not so much was he a left-wing plant, but is he Is he working as an asset of a federal agency to do this type of thing? Yeah. We'll get into a video, too. I'll I'll play a video after the break from uh, Alex Jones. Alex Jones now, sad to say, has become a caricature of himself. In the past, he did some incredible documentary work, and it was a Police State 2 uh, documentary. He did. He covered the protest at the World Trade Organization. We'll look at that in a little bit. So Kessler organized this, and this is a guy, this is a guy who was, yeah, an Obama supporter, a guy who had worked with, uh, a guy who would work for, uh, with Occupy Wall Street. He's 34 years old, and uh, he said, he talks about a cultural second American Civil War. And, okay. uh, you know, would I use, would I use that language? No, no. Because I don't, because I don't like the language of the first Civil War. I'd say it was a war between the states, or <laughs> a war of northern aggression. So no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't identify. I wouldn't say we need a second Civil War. I'd say we need a peaceful revolution. I wouldn't say anything like, I wouldn't invoke a Civil War. Uh, uh, here's some of the tweets. Uh, this was a tweet he did on January 28th this year by Kessler. If it comes down to it, I'm ready to fight beside President Trump in the second American Civil War. Hmm. another site that really that really pushed that got World net daily's attention uh had talked about how but back in twenty twelve a few years ago, Kessler was praising Obama and Bill Clinton. Uh, that's at the DNC. This is a tweet by uh, tweet by Kessler, Sethe- September 6, 2012. Obama and Clinton just demolished the Republican arguments on consecutive nights with two of the greatest speeches of this generation. Pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. Another one, April 2nd, 2, 2015. A little bit a uh, little bit more recent. Barack Obama's Nobel-worthy ploy for peace comes to fruition, and John Kerry cements his legacy. As Historic Secretary of State, Iran talks. Pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. January 26, 2012, uh, he quoted Republicans in the CNN debate or grotesquely mesmerizing as an interview with a serial killer. At least Dahmer, meaning Jeffrey Dahmer, couldn't wage war or starve poor people. Very interesting. Very interesting about uh about Kessler, but this was driven again World net daily picked up on it from this other site, the really site you probably had never heard of, and they go into this you know the guy totally seems like a complete fraud again he to, his defense of this when this came out he he didn't deny it it was all over the place And Stanley there was also it was also somebody on un, un, unearthed the piece. They found the piece that said Jason Kessler was a contributor to CNN, and CNN won't comment on that, so we don't know if that's the same Jason Kessler yet. But that was interesting on on the time frame, not too long ago, that the same Jason Kessler may have been contributors to uh, to CNN. But it was on National National One News, uh, initially ran the piece that uh, that Schilling used over at World Net Daily. And more came out about about Kessler. Uh, what do you say? Here's one he wrote in December 6, 2015. As far as his worldview, we get so caught up in the emotion of the violence that we don't consider long-term historical consequences. Consequence, to put it bluntly, the planet is overpopulated. already. Maybe we shouldn't try and cure every disease. We shouldn't confiscate all the harmful drugs, etc. Perhaps we'd be happier if we made peace with the fact that rabbit animals are going to dwindle the herd from time to time, as they have in much greater volume throughout history, and that's not really a bad thing in the long long run. So, <laughs> and also, December ninth, twenty fifteen, you wrote. I can't think of any occupation. That I admire more than the professional, professional provocateur who has the courage and self determination to court controversy despite all slings and arrows of the world. You get that? December 9, 2015, he wrote I can't think of any occupation that I admire more than the prof- professional provocateur who has the courage and self determination to court controversy despite all slings and arrows of the world. And that piece at National One News went on, says, right, the man, this man is living his dream as a professional provocateur. Now he can claim victories and mastermind behind the worst racial violence spilled blood in our streets in over 20 years. Very, very interesting. I, uh, I can't take Kessler seriously. In other words, I do not believe he's this rabid, white-identity nationalist guy. Don't, don't believe it for a moment. Don't believe it for a moment. Uh, if he flipped... I think the flipping didn't have anything to do with ideology. I think it had to do with a career path and or who's paying him, (laughs) who he's working for. I don't think it had anything to do with uh, any type of ideology if, in fact, he ever did flip, which, I don't know, remains to be seen, what he actually does believe when you go from these extremes from one to the other. Uh, Kessler wrote a piece or blogged. He blogged uh after the fact. It was either the, the tweet I'm about to read. It was either uh on Friday uh Friday, August nineteenth or early AM on Saturday the twentieth. And remember the violence occurred on Saturday the twelfth. So he'd come out, and, you know, there's obviously a flurry of activity. Yeah, you know, he had come out, yeah, you know, he had been exposed to in the meantime and yeah you know, he'd said yeah, you know, he had said, yeah, you know, he had flipped Something like Trayvon Martin changed him, I don't know. But, yeah, he he magically became, he went from a left-wing stooge to a a radical right-wing stooge. And, uh, yeah, basically white supremacist, whether you use that phrase or not, he was getting into identity politics, wanting to see a civil war. (laughs) Even though he could say it's cultural, it's, it's obviously horrible to say you'd want to see another civil war. But he made this tweet then, uh, the L.A. Times and others picked up on it. So again, this is this is about a week later. And he started to tweet about the girl, that girl who was killed. And lo and behold, what did he say? What was that tweet then? You get the actual quote here. Okay, and this is from the L.A. Times piece on August 19th. Tweet from the account of Charlottesville rally organizer and soul slain protester Heather Heyer. So it was on the nineteenth, so his tweet had to be nineteenth, if not, then the eighteenth. A tweet from the account of the far right activists who organized the Charlottesville Virginia Unite the Right rally insulted the protester who was killed at the event, saying late Friday night that her death was payback time. This was the quote. Heather Hi- Heather Heyer was a fat, disgusting communist. Communists have killed ninety four million, it looks like it was payback time. And that was linked to a story on neo Nazi website, the Daily Stormer. I think uh daily stormer got pulled from the web and that's, uh, that is not good. Not that I support the daily stormer, but, uh, if people are going to start and make or if internet service providers are going to start making arbitrary, arbitrary choices about what political content is and isn't acceptable. Where does that end? Uh, that's not good. In any case, uh, first, first, uh, he didn't talk about it. You know, there was talk, it might've been hacked. And, uh, then he admitted it. He admitted, you know, he admitted it. He deleted it. And he said he'd been on a mixture of drugs. That was excuse. Quote, I repudiate the heinous tweet that was sent from my account last night. I've been under a crushing amount of stress and death threats, the tweet stated. I'm taking Ambien, Xanox, and I've been drinking last night. I sometimes wake up having done strange things I can't remember. <laughs> this is Jason Kessler. So, when when you talk about the idea of provocateur uh you might think it's it's too far fetched that that you know government agents directly or people government assets federal government assets would be involved in that and uh unfortunately that's not the case that's not the case I'm gonna play an extended clip here from uh, first we'll take the break and I'm gonna play a clip from Al Shonen's documentary, please Stay Two. And this deals with the Seattle World Trade Organization riots in the nineteen nineties. Very, very interesting what what he had documented then. It was very interesting. But we'll come up, we'll take a break here. You're listening to K I R P Radio Show with you guest host Rocco P last Fridays. K I. R. P. Radio show. K
4: I. R. P. Radio. How many more innocent people?
0: How many more? How many more? What has been the number one cause of unnatural death in history?
4: Democide, or death by government, has killed 290 million people on record.
0: Look it up. Go look it up. In the 20th century,
1: government murdered four times as many people as were killed in all the international and domestic wars combined. USSR. 61,911,000 people killed. Hitler's Germany nearly 21 million people killed Japan's imperialism nearly 6 million people killed Western colonization killed over 50 million people Pol Pot's Cambodia funded by the U.S. government 2 million people killed
0: China's Communist Party as many as 76 million people killed between
1: 1949 and 1987 and the list goes on and on demand to know why the department of homeland security bought more than 1.6 billion hollow point bullets how many more people does government have to kill enough
0: enough
4: demand an end to citizen disarmament
0: as an american as an american citizen as a patriot for your children enough of the people laying down And letting government kill them in mass after disarming them as they've done throughout history over and over again. Now is the time. It's
3: time. It's time to realize that when the government takes your guns, people die.
4: It's time to realize the biggest threat to you and your family is government.
3: It's
1: time to recognize. Government is the greatest killer of all time. Demand they show you the word hunting in the Second Amendment. Demand our politicians uphold the Constitution and Bill of Rights as they swore to when they took office. It's time for our leaders to read the Constitution. It's time for our leaders to obey. The Constitution.
0: The Constitution. The Constitution.
1: Because a well-regulated militia with 10 round magazines wouldn't last very long.
0: So now you know the most dangerous thing to you and your family in the world is
3: government. Because mass murderers agree, gun control works. Hey
4: Cam, thanks a lot for coming to school today. No problem, Nate. I promise to exercise and eat right.
1: Don't forget 60 minutes of play a day, right?
4: And I'll grow up to be big and strong like you. Absolutely. And play in the NFL. Yes, sir. And be dressing number one. Maybe. And become the starting quarterback of the Panthers. <laughs> okay. You can be my backup. Excuse me. And make Panthers fans forget about you. What? And become your mom's favorite player. Whoa.
5: A is an online indie department store, born with the ideology, community, and self. We believe that a garment or accessory created by an independent designer can do more for our community on a deeper level. The ability to wear someone's imagination is a beautiful event. Purchasing independent means wearing something unique while supporting those around you. The designers you support could very well be your neighbors, friends, and family. Brace your Indy state of mind. Shop Indy. www.dechri.com Thanks, Shereen.
3: Listen to the KRP radio show. Last Friday night was with Rock Rocco P. I'm talking about Charlottesville. 1999, there was massive protest against the World Trade Organization. The protest... Uh, could be seen loosely loosely, as left-wing, but, again, not completely. He was talking about the bad economic effects to the United States of being involved in the World Trade Organization. And, again, we've seen the history in the U.S., what's happened, General Agreement on Tariffs and Trades, North American Free Trade Agreement has nothing to do with free trade. So there was massive protest against that. And this uh this early work by Alex Jones uh i think was it was really brilliant cuz talks about how protest works when a lot of things happen when if if there are asian provocateurs during protest one of the things it serves to do is in the mind of the general populace especially people don't look beyond the headlines or a few video clips or audio clips and that's just to associate protest with violence and then people immediately just make that that mental association. They just shy away from protest. And sad to say, any protest, and this was a great example, like the World Trade Organization, massive amounts of people came out. It only takes a handful of provocateurs, it only takes a handful of agents planted in the crowd to then cause violence. And then the entire protest then gets demonized. And in essence, that's, you know, that's part of what the powers that be want. I think we see that too. In light of Charlottesville, if if just the mere threat of violence is used, uh, that could be the threat. of Violence existing is real. That could easily be used as a pretext to just shut down all protests. And the governor, Democrat governor of Virginia, has uh, has done that. He basically signed an executive order saying, I don't know, for the next 90 days in Richmond or s- certain parts of uh, Virginia, it's just, there, there's just not going to be any protests in certain places. So. I'm going to play this clip, and it's very interesting to see as far as how what happened in the Seattle World Trade Organization, what happened with those uh, riots back in 1999. And uh, there's a little bit, uh, I think you'll see a little bit of a pattern as far as how Asian provocateurs work.
5: Broke windows at the gap. They're smashing windows at McDonald's. They're dumping over garbage cans. And they are very angry again and hostile. We're seeing more clashes with other protesters. Telling them to stop because they're giving everyone a bad name. None of the protesters, the legitimate protesters down here, want any of this kind of action, and they are very angry. So right now, knocking
0: from the newspaper. Megan, any sign yet of police
3: uh, trying to track them down? No,
5: no police anywhere. They're, going like, they're breaking the bank window here at U.S. Bank. We got to get out of here. safe distance away from them. Several police officers have told us because they were assigned to control the protest crowds, they weren't allowed to break ranks and to stop the Black Bloc. So the group just continued destroying property for nearly an hour.
0: What's wrong with this picture? If the police are supposedly there to protect the public and property, then why? Why did state police, Seattle police, as well as the feds, stand back and allow the anarchists, in mass? to run around and throw bottles at police, cones, rocks, you name it, and assault private property as well as members of the general public because they needed someone to demonize the rest of the good demonstrators. Now, my friends, this was an old tactic throughout history. If you have opposition, you simply demonize them by creating your own crisis, your own massacre or terrorist bombing or incident and then blaming it on your political opponents, when you have 50, 60,000 peaceful demonstrators out exposing the corruption, how do you neutralize them? Well, you simply send in your boys to create a crisis, to offer a solution. Now, we're not saying that local police knew what was going on. Certainly not. They just were following their orders, which is frightening in and of itself to let a bunch of anarchists, 30 or 40 of them tops, run around and burn and break things because they were ordered to do so? We're going to play you some little clips from newscast and some amateur video. Then we'll move into even more evidence that this was a government action. You see, the anarchists were actually given their own operations base, even during the curfew and civil emergency that was declared after their attacks If
5: you thought the anarchists who commandeered a privately owned downtown building were out of town now, well, think again. As Cairo 7 Eyewitness News reporter Christina McKenna has found out they're still here and still living rent-free. Susan, when these anarchists moved out of the building behind me on Saturday, a lot of people thought they should have been headed to jail. Instead, it turns out a lot of them just headed around the corner, and they're now living in a building right over here where they're enjoying electricity, hot water, and heat, all rent-free. Saturday afternoon was a celebration here. Seven days after they commandeered this downtown building, anarchists walked away without a word from police.
0: It feels to me like we won.
5: And at least some are still winning. As part of the deal, to get them to surrender this building, anarchists were offered housing just around the corner at the same price. The building is owned by the Low Income Housing Institute, a private nonprofit that is in large part funded by the city and is now working with the city to house the anarchists.
1: First of all, the criminal trespassers, if that was me or you or the average person out in the street, we'd be in jail.
5: John Satoli can't believe the anarchists aren't in jail now. As a lawful tenant in the building the anarchists had seized, he was locked out of his packaging and shipping business for a week during his busiest season. Satoli can't believe he's now contemplating bankruptcy, and the people who put them there have paid no consequence at all. They,
1: they walked away. They walked away, and they, the city of Seattle, low-income low housing, moved them across the street on mean years taxpayers' dollars.
5: So why didn't the police department arrest the anarchists when they moved out of that building? Well, that's a question a lot of people are asking, especially since the West Precinct is just down the block. We asked the police department this weekend. We asked them again today. They still haven't returned our call with an answer.
1: The riotous behavior I saw was by the Seattle Police Department, the Washington State Patrol, and the Federal Bureau of Investigations.
0: From the city's standpoint, we had security. And uh, at least 20 agencies were involved. We had the lead, but clearly uh, the Secret Service, the FBI, uh, all of the state and uh, local agencies dealing with security, the Port of Seattle, uh, ATF, uh, and a lot of work from traveling to uh, Geneva to looking at the NATO conference uh, uh, in Washington, DC, trying to do the best they could to understand what both the threat was and then how to plan to do it. Makes me furious.
5: Building owner Wall Louis says he wanted police to arrest the demonstrators who occupied his three story building at the start of WTO meetings. He says they left a mess.
1: We're just cleaning up the mess right now. There's some human waste up there that that we haven't removed, and nobody wants to touch it. We'll try to find uh, an outfit to do that.
5: Instead of eviction, police asked housing activists to negotiate with demonstrators. Sharon Lee of the Low Income Housing Institute convinced the protesters to voluntarily leave the building, in part by offering them temporary housing in a private non-profit shelter around the corner. I think we avoided a major confrontation. This is a failure of leadership.
0: No, my friends, it's not a failure of leadership. From the start to the finish and even after, the anarchists were housed. They were protected. They were not to be arrested by Seattle police. It's a staged, managed operation. And since Seattle, these same anarchists have been used in Washington, D.C. to create a state of emergency. For a day, they allow them to spray paint pig on police cars and attack officers. And then the police are released once they're at fever pitch. They are useful tools to neutralize the general population's ability to engage in political protest. All started by 30 to 40 anarchists running around, burning and beating and smashing and stealing. And the police, like dogs at the end of a chain, a Rottweiler you've been slapping, suddenly had their, had their leashes released, and with wanton abandon, they rampaged out in a berserk fashion and attacked old ladies, store owners, you name it. <laughs>
5: the confrontations over the past few days. At times, it's hard to tell whether police are protecting citizens or threatening them. When two apparent good Samaritans stop to help a fallen woman, they all get pepper sprayed. Even media members weren't spared.
0: There any more than three or four people on the street together. They have suspended our right to uh, gather
1: together on the street. Uh, the Constitution's been suspended and gabbled today. These people were doing absolutely nothing. Nobody was directly confronting the police. No one laid hands on anybody. Nobody touched property, and they were arrested anyway solely because the WTO comes to town. China and other foreign governments wander in here, and
0: they've suspended our constitution, supposedly the greatest democracy in the country, and now they're gassing everybody. What did you see here? Did you see any violence? In
4: downtown Seattle today, the First Amendment Ended at 4th and Spring.
1: I'll I'll, I'll, I'll not only
4: could you not off. say what's on your mind, no. you couldn't wear it. Well, that. 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 That? Yeah. Sir,
1: what? Give me that. Sir, 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 let's not what? get into a big scuffle over here. Man?
4: This man had an anti WTO sticker on his backpack. He took it off my. It's
1: right. My you're, you're there not are not allowed no protests down here. You saw what happened yesterday to your city. We're not going to let it happen again, okay? Not allowed to have a sticker. Not here.
4: These officers stand guard at just one corner of a 50-block, no-protest zone in downtown Seattle since a civil emergency was declared. Talk of free speech at least past this point
1: became moot. Am I right? He did. He reached onto his body and pulled it right off. I asked if I could go through. He said I couldn't if I had a button, and I wasn't going through the line, and then he ripped it off my jacket.
4: Now, if I say I'm protesting WTO, I can't go in, if my T-shirt said I supported the WTO, could I go in? That's not a
1: protest. no protest zone. hence no protest.
4: Backpacks and bags were also searched for banners or gas masks. gas masks are illegal to possess today in the city of Seattle. How can you You're mandate
1: something outside? like that? What's that? I'm curious, how can you mandate something like that? Because they declared the city a state of emergency. But you don't know what thoughts are in my head, right? Well, I have no idea. So are, you are you protesting? Are you protesting? There's no protest zone down there. You go down there and protest, you risk arrest. Okay? I'm just telling you that. You understand that? Okay.
4: A it's a situation that is clearly uncomfortable for those who want to get through to protest, and those who block their way. What
1: we're trying to do is keep protesters out, and the business people and citizens go in. Okay?
4: City leaders believe the free speech of yesterday came at too high a cost. That's why, at least for today, the First Amendment ended.
3: That was from Police State 2 video, Alex Jones did. Uh, did you know in Charlottesville the police stood down? Yes, they they stood down. That was reported on uh, a couple of places. I got it on Zero Hedge, ZeroHedge.com, and iBankCoin.com, iBankCoin.com. So it's interesting. Yeah, there will be an investigation. You know why? The worst violence violence happened on Saturday, in part, in part, you say in large part, that was due to the police standing down. Why? You ask, why would the police stand down? The police would stand down if the powers that be, the political powers, wanted to provoke hostility, and they wanted to provoke some violence. Yeah. A piece came out in Free, free, uh, free Thought Project, freethoughtproject.com called FBI Admits Their Informants Participate in Deadly Charlottesville Riots. FBI Admits Their Informants Participate in Deadly Charlottesville Riots. This was on August 22nd. writer was Jay Smeropoulos. <laughs> FBI sources have confirmed this extremely unlikely that leaders of the radical white nationalist and Antifa, Antifa short for anti fascist groups, that squared off in violent clashes in Charlottesville, Virginia, will face prosecution due to their being federal law enforcement assets, according to an exclusive report by True Pundit. FBI said they have already identified several federal informants who participated in the mob like riots over the weekend in Virginia. The FBI is also now working those sources to piece together the events from Charlottesville, sources said. But FBI agents have deemed the newly minted investigation dicey, having to navigate separate agreements with embedded intelligence assets while trying to pinpoint responsibility for the violence. Late Saturday, the Justice Justice Department announced a federal probe The investigation, spearheaded by the Richmond, Virginia, FBI field office, was launched after an Ohio man drove his car through a crowd of demonstrators, killing one woman and injuring dozens. The FBI has intel assets implanted in several white supremacy sects, as well as the radical Antifa group, according to federal law enforcement sources, who spoke to True Pundit. The FBI sources said it is unlikely an asset would be charged for stoking violence in Virginia if, for instance, that asset header was providing valuable information on another domestic terrorism case. We wouldn't do a solid informant. We wouldn't do a solid informant for this one. FBI insider said the word "do" here pertains to indict. So think about what they said then from that report. Let's say there weren't just people that infiltrated Antifa and some of the white white uh, supremacist groups. Let's say they, they infiltrate, but in addition, they also planned and provoked violence themselves. Would that not be illegal? <laughs> and that was proven to be the case. I didn't play more of that uh, more of that documentary. Please stay too um, about the World Trade Organization a protest in 1989, Seattle, Washington. But it was proven that uh, there were there were federal agents that were, was provoking that violence, and that's why they were protected. Uh, this arc want to say the report indicates that intelligence assets from the FBI have infiltrated the full spectrum of radical groups and that word "infiltrated" again it could be uh, it could be actually true that they not only infiltrated some of those groups perhaps they've even started or uh, have originated some of those groups and unless the crimes committed by them rose to an extreme level such as police officers being killed as part of demonstrations they would likely not be charged. Uh, even more harrowing, perhaps, is the revelations of a, that an FBI initiative called PAC Counter, Patriot Conspiracy, has been in place since the late 1980s. This was a long term provocation campaign in which the Bureau sought to infiltrate and incite the militia and evangelical Christians to violence so that the Department of Justice could crush them, explained Salt Lake City. Attorney Jesse Trendu, whose brother was killed while in federal custody shortly after 1995 Oklahoma. City bombing, and after the oklahoma city bombing pretty much the militia movement died because it was only demonized in uh among popular uh you know popular opinion of people but uh the feds basically uh the feds started a lot of those militia groups and they uh they went away. Trying to do, Jesse trying to do is work diligently to expose the vast cover-up of the Oklahoma City bombing and the FBI's intentional efforts to protect the likely federal asset. John Doe Two, a dark-haired, heavy-set man seen by dozens of people in the company of Tim- Timothy McVeigh on the day of the bombing, who the FBI claims doesn't exist. It was interesting if you follow that case of Oklahoma City. A lot of angles there. The, uh, a federal judge uh, demanded the FBI release video. They had, and yeah, they had video is Doe too, and yeah, the, a federal judge said they had to, and after years, the FBI said, you know what, uh, we're sorry, judge, we lost it, we lost it. it's not around anymore. IntelHub, uh, Intel IntelHub, I N T E L, I N T E L L I H U B, IntelHub.com ran ran a similar piece uh, along the lines of that one free thought project, that confirmed the FBI provocateurs were on the scene during Charlottesville riots. Uh, that This piece reads, The FBI had multiple informants in both groups during the deadly Charlottesville riots, meaning some of the white supremacists as well as Antifa. Uh, the FBI had multiple informants in both groups during the deadly Charlottesville riots who may have played an active part in facilitating the violence that led to an Ohio man driving his car through a crowd of protesters, killing one and injuring many others. And these pieces don't mention that the local police, again, were told to stand down. According to multiple sources backed up by the historical truth of widespread widespread FBI infiltration of white supremacists and hard-left groups, the FBI absolutely had assets on the ground throughout the day. The question remains what exactly informants and or active agents were specifically doing, which has led to fears this may be yet another example of the FBI using agent provocateurs this time for political reasons. I quoted Jason Kessler, what he had said, I believe, in 2015. You know, that was his dream job of being an Asian provocateur. Well, he got his wish. So you can see this you see this operating at multiple levels. You have you have someone like Kessler at best at best a useful idiot, at worst complicit in all this and it appears to be a total fraud. You have him stalking people up, then you get you get two groups together, knowing that, that, that there would be animosity and you have the police stand down, gee, what's uh what's gonna happen? <laughs> Going back to that pl- piece on Telehub, unfortunately, not only are reliable sources confirming this, the FBI's own history points directly to the use of informants to foment some sort of desired goal with the agency's long history of infiltrating the white supremacist movement being the most obvious example. They mentioned Pat, Pat County again or patient conspiracy. So there you have it. Uh, the goal, again, is for us to be divided Uh particularly along racial lines. They want to provoke racial hostilities. They also want to divide us by, by making us ashamed of our past. That's very destructive, again, because if anything touching the Confederacy is then removed, uh, where does it go? Logically, you got to eventually demonize Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. You have to do that then. If anything associated with slavery at any level, is then going to be completely, uh, completely demonized. And incidentally, in talking about slavery, uh, do you know after the U.S. Uh, the U.S. Uh, deposed uh, Gaddafi, Muammar Gaddafi in Libya, you, you may know that the government in place is, a th- is I don't know, ten times, hundred times, thousand times worse. It's really Al Qaeda type government, radical Muslim governments in place at the U.S. behest after the U.S. Uh, deposed Gaddafi. Right now, in Libya, they're openly selling slaves. That's right, there's open slavery. Now, there's there's closed slavery in other Middle Eastern countries, but there in Libya and Africa, it's open. So but it's funny, there's no, there's no outrage about that. Let me tell you something else, there's no outrage about that. Uh, the same weekend that the girl girl tragically died in Charlottesville same weekend in Chicago nine people died nine people died but they don't focus on that in Chicago and the reason they don't is because that doesn't help the narrative they want to again cause racial animosity Uh, we can't link any of the deaths in Chicago towards any uh, feds or real or fake white supremacist so it doesn't help the narrative. it doesn't help the narrative also doesn't help their narrative because the problem in Chicago could be solved very easily. All you need to do is get rid of gun control. In one year in Florida after they uh they went to conceal carry, uh homicide went down twenty five percent in Florida. So if you really want to clean if you want to make Chicago a safe place, stats are out there. Yeah, you know, the evidence is overwhelming. What gun control does is disarm honest people. The criminals and criminal police will always have the guns, <laughs> but the honest people don't. But that doesn't help the narrative, so they don't They don't talk about Chicago. They don't talk about those deaths, not nine deaths the same weekend in Chicago. Uh, this is the way the real world works. Do not let people manipulate you. Uh, we are all created in the image and likeness of God. We have our rights. As humans, we bear the image of God don't, know. Don't be manipulated. When a protest occurs, always look to see what elements are causing the violence. Always look to see where were the police, where were the police when it occurred. Always look to see if anyone gets arrested, and if not, then why? Why? How? How in Charlottesville? How could it be that you know you had people throwing, Antifa people throwing soda cans filled with cement people aren't arrested, or if they are, why isn't their focus on their names and their identities? Again, look at the people when something like this happens, when someone organizes a so-called protest or event. Find out who that organizer is. This guy Kessler, again, appears to be a total fraud going from extreme left to to a white nationalist. Seems completely concocted. If you know the game plan then chance is very good you're not going to be manipulated because their goal, again, is to divide us. Uh, they want they want that. It's a problem-reaction solution. They create the problem with Asian provocateurs, knowing the solution will be a greater clampdown and uh, the reaction will be more hostility and the result will be a clampdown and we lose our liberties. They would like to demonize all protests. In this case, it's even more destructive if they could get us to accept as normal the eradication of our past. albeit the Confederacy for this point. And more would be to come. You listened to the KRRP radio show last Friday nights with Rocco P. I'd like to thank and Miller for this platform. I will be back, Lord willing, next month. Last Friday of the month in September is the 29th. Thank you for listening to the KIRP Radio Show.
0: KIRP Radio.